0: Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's horror video game podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Boat. And as we're halfway through 2022, Neil and I figured we'd each highlight five of our favorite games of the year so far. And in typical Safe Room fashion, we'll be including all manner of horror delights from AAA to budget titles to bite sized indie darlings. Now, Neil, I always enjoy these uh, Game of the Year episodes, whether they be at the end of the year or the halfway point, because uh, they really do force me to you know, cram as many horror games as I can before we end up recording, you know, while I'm always playing horror games, you know, the general nature of covering games and then covering movies and stuff, things slip through the cracks. And it always seems like no matter how much of an emphasis I try to place on it, these are the points in the year when I can really kind of dedicate a good chunk of time to catching up.
1: Yeah. And it, Bring so much angst with it because you know <laughs> even if you're in personal thing in the back of your head is like well what will people think if i pick this game at this side or, do, will people say that's and, you know in this especially it's a case of saying oh god what if someone thinks this isn't horror enough and to which then my brain says who cares because <laughs> it's like you know you you pick them because they have horror elements or enough of a horror feel to them in some way shape or form and as we've discussed many times on this podcast horror can be in any form in any game. You know, we, we've covered series as diverse as Metal Gear and Tomb Raider for, for that very theme in mind. So yes, but the important thing is horror is fairly present in pretty much every pick that, that, that is, that's what you want to, to be doing. And this year, you know, like when we did this last year, you were on holiday. So I, it was just me rambling to myself for, for, <laughs> for, for 15 minutes. Um, but so yeah it's cool to do the halfway point and sort of compare and contrast. We we've not shared any of our picks beforehand and we're doing the old uh, penalty shootout style thing of like one take it one takes one then the other takes one sort of thing. And uh we won't discuss the game if it's on both people's list until yeah, both people have got to that point. Um otherwise we'll just discuss it straight up. Um only doing 5 today for this one obviously when we do the end of year stuff it'll be a bigger deal and you know more games and and because five was hard you know even, even <laughs> as it was yeah because i'm just kidding oh but i want to mention that game i want to mention that game but we're not going to do honorable mentions um, um i will point out a couple of things i didn't pick yet because i haven't really got into them uh, as much as i want which is like the dreads collection five dread delusion um uh, Oxide 104, which I've just been playing. Um th- These are all things I, I want to kind of see if they're going to be in the discussion, but I haven't really had enough time to really get on with them.
0: Let's lead with uh your first pick.
1: So my first pick, my number five, if you will, is Silt. Is that on
0: your list? It is not. That's, you know, it's funny you were just talking about, like, the fact that there have been so many releases in these things and that there are some games that, you hadn't had a great deal of time to play. And I think I played the first 20 minutes of the game. So it's not something I could add to my list, but I'm excited to hear why this is one of your games of the year so far. So that way, you know, between now and our official Games of the Year 2022 episode at the end of the year, I'll be able, hopefully, to chat about it in a little more depth.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you know, I'm a sucker for anything that sort of evokes that play dead vibe of, you know, but I think what Spiral Circus have done with Stilt is make something that has that feel, but is very much, you know, has its own personality. And that's very much down to the hand-drawn art style, which is, you know, despite the monochrome look of it, it's incredibly detailed, you know. To, To compare it to something like Limbo is a bit incredulous, really, because, or even inside, because there is so much detail in every arena. And there's this sort of, you know, biomechanical aquatic horror nature to it. That's, and this mystery, which is very play And, you know, you wake up here in this situation. You don't know why you're here and you can do weird things that you didn't expect. And yeah, it just keeps going into these big sprawling ocean depths and everything looks familiar, but isn't, you know, like there are things that don't seem like they fit, but they have an aquatic edge like there's a part where there's a tree underwater that has little baby bird type things in it that you've got to feed like these maggoty things that attach themselves to a head that's how you get them to it and you know that tree turns out to be you know the top of a much larger creature of course there's these each you know area ends with a fight against some colossal creature that you then you know absorb it's shadow of the colossus-esque in that, in that regard that you find the strategy to defeat that big boss, you claim their power, if you will, and then you get this sort of jump back to somewhere else that's quite otherworldly and a little tidbit more of what the mystery is going on overall. And it tells it in such a, you know, secretive manner that's quite exciting because it just keeps making lovely little hints to what it will be or what it could be. And I think it ends up doing a really good job of just drawing the story out to a natural conclusion without ever trying to be too over the top, too grandiose. It just all flows like water,
0: as you would say. Yeah, you know, from the little I've played of it, and of course I got to see some videos online and stuff before it was released and all of these things, and I totally agree in terms of sometimes maybe you might be afraid of Going into a game that has that kind of like monochrome style, like you said, perhaps somebody would like equate it to being well, it's just kind of going off of the success of you know Play Dead and their lack of visual Mm. uh, color palettes and things like that. But really, from the opening moments of Silt, it's apparent that it not only kind of just captures the overall you know vibe of that game, but the longer you play it, right, it really does create its own sense of ecology and like an ecosystem almost and it incorporates those fantastical elements like you had said in such a fantastic way that even if it is improbable or in some instances maybe perhaps you could say like ridiculous or absurd for the setting of being underwater deep in the ocean it fits in a way that only the most you know magical of worlds can you know that lack of logic behind it but it all fits together in a way that works because the rest of the game complements it whether it's the vibes or the aesthetic or overall just sort of the you know it could be the creature design it could be the enemy layout but i think that silt does a great job at establishing that very unique art style and then the rest of the game really accompanies that in a way that complements it and you know again i've have played almost none of it, but from what little time I had and, you know, getting to uh, read reviews and whatnot, it's definitely a game that I'm looking forward to diving into in more depth come the end of the year and whatnot.
1: Good stuff. We're getting the puns in nice and early here. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, what was your number five?
0: So my number five was Evil Dead the Game, which... Not we, on my list, so... Not it, on your list. There no, you go. No same we uh, were fortunate enough to, you know, have Brandon Trush on to talk about the game and whatnot. And he got to share his love of uh, not only horror, of course, but, you know, of uh, asynchronous multiplayer games and whatnot. And what evil dead adds to that, you know, genre of multiplayer horror games and whatnot. And, you know, it was a game that initially I did enjoy, right. I'm not going to say that, you know, I didn't enjoy it right out the gate, but it was something I enjoyed. And even for all the reasons that we got to discuss and how, you know saber really did take that ip and proved that through and through our fans and used the ip in a way that complements the gameplay which you know sounds obvious but you know we've seen multiple examples in the past of developers that are able to get this ip and then maybe it's not actually representative of what makes the films or the ip itself special right and I think that the more time I've spent with Evil Dead and the more I've been able to experiment and whatnot with it, my appreciation has grown, and I've even become more impressed with the depth of the mechanics themselves per class. Um, th- I think that that's probably the facet of Evil Dead, the game, that I'm most impressed with, and what makes it an outlier from. And in my mind, I'm thinking less about something like uh, Dead by Dawn, right? Or it's the type dead by of daylight where, sorry yeah dead by sorry. daylight sorry i screwed that up on another podcast because between going back and forth between the evil dead yeah uh, isn't is
1: that is a natural mistake there yeah. <laughs> it's like, right. you know. i don't feel as bad about it but
0: it is the type of thing that you know when i was playing something like friday the 13th the game right i enjoyed that i think more than most people but that's because my love of friday the 13th yeah
1: i think that's what most people say about that game it was that you know it is it, they were fans of Friday the 13th it provided a lot that saying like Dead by Daylight like couldn't because it was focused on one IP one thing and everything that had to do with it and you know that's why you know even if you found it to be broken or disastrous when it launched it still had something you know we said that and i think that's what we're saying in the Evil Dead episode the Evil Dead game sort of takes that ball and runs with it and Learned from those mistakes, you know, that uh, weren't entirely guns for, you know, with uh, Friday the 13th, because obviously they had that whole derailing IP problem that ended up happening. But, uh, yeah, it's good to see it's still going strength to strength. It does well in the wider horror community as a game, and I'm hopeful that its new DLC and stuff will end up making it a long lasting thing. It's it's got more legs than I expected, I must say. Given the Evil Dead, even in, you know, in general media terms, is quite niche as a license compared to just being part of a lot wider assortment of licenses like Dead by Daylight. So I, I, that concerned me slightly in terms of what the audience would be like, but it is keeping ticking on nicely. And so I'm glad to see that. I think in part of that is also down to Sabre and that reputation has sort of been a big part of why it's kept it going
0: yeah and you know some people that i was talking to about the game they've kind of fallen off of it already because they Mm. said like they were getting tired with the fact that there aren't you know maybe the same sprawling amount of maps or modes that maybe people are more accustomed to with multiplayer but what i find to be more telling about the longevity of this game and the potential for it seeing that even expanded more so is that Saber, first and foremost, focused on making each of the classes and each of the characters in those classes have far more depth than I would assume anybody was expecting. Yeah. And that is where I think it sidesteps, you know, the the uh, legality of the IP stuff aside the Friday the 13th ad, right? Yeah. I think that when you're talking about maybe comparing the two, Evil Dead the game, just thinking about how much more emphasis is placed on characters' abilities – the fact that, of course, they are highly upgradable, but also in the sort of wide swath of abilities per class, you're able to really experiment more in mm. terms of like how you're working with the group. And I think that that first and foremost fuels what I love most about that game. And, you know, we talked about it in our episode with Brandon, which I think everybody should go back and listen to because he was really like the expert, essentially. essentially yeah, he's
1: for... he He's got the receipt, so to speak, when it comes to yeah. this sort of genre sub-genre of games. And yeah, I, th- I think the way we described it then was it's, you know, it's deeper in a smaller pool, if you will, you know, of things compared to Dead by Daylight, which is, you know, it's an ocean with a few things scattered throughout it, which is, you know, and it's good. We've got a bit of variety. More games like it are going to be better going forward because of games like that.
0: Yeah, and there's a new map on the horizon, so that'll be something that maybe we'll talk about at a later point. But why don't we move on to uh, your next pick?
1: Yeah, uh, my number four is definitely going to be something you haven't played just because you haven't got the console involved, and that is Ghostwire Tokyo, by Tango Gameworks. So, um, yeah, I, I I knew this would be around the top half, even before I collate the list, just because something about it really connected with me, you know, we wanted to talk about the evil within two, especially you know on this podcast, and we'll get to that at some point. But going from that to this and thinking, is it going to be the same kind of game? You know, is it, you know as it started life effectively as the evil within three, and then changed to this whole different thing? And you can see why because it's not that game at all. It's a much more subtle. <laughs> I mean, subtle as you can be for a game that just features like fucking whacked out ghosts and stuff. But yeah, his depiction of like Tokyo and is just, it puts it somewhere almost like a walking sim in terms of like how it approaches atmosphere and how you sort of soak up the story. But it has action. You know, it is effectively a first-person shooter, but you use your guns as, your guns are fingers with like magical, you know, spiritual powers. You can fire out different, you know, symbol, you know, wind types, earth types, fire types sort of things. And yeah, it, it's such a weird thing. And I can understand anyone coming from Evil Within Tooth into this and thinking, oh good, more of the stuff they did before and being deflated that it wasn't, Really, anything like that? It's much more melancholy, whilst also being like really over the top dramatic. You know, it's you know it feels like an anime series in so many ways in terms of how it plays out. You know, protagonists you know (laughs) cursed with some sort of demonic presence or spiritual presence that gives them some sort of abilities, and then some sort of cursed thing they have to fight off, and it works really well for it because juxtaposed with the real world sort of style stuff it gives it this very odd sheen that you wouldn't expect and yeah it's such a beautiful place to sort of soak up the atmosphere of walk through and occasionally like fight ghosts with finger guns yeah and the story is like fun you know it's just it's nothing like crazy but it's it just keeps going in a way that you're really excited about and, and <laughs> it's, it, despite its simplicity. And I, it's just something about the vibe of it already that just gets to me. And because it, it goes into, you know, the whole Japanese folklore and mythology of like ghosts and, you know, the yokai and things like that. And does it in such a great way that incorporates modern themes you know i think it's been referenced like it's Ghibli-esque in that regard in that it it takes like the spiritual you know, traditions of japan and marries it to modern stylings you know and it really does it it takes that really well um it's just a fucking good looking game as well you know i mean it it's a great get for ps5 in that regard because it just it is just yeah, you know, there's been so many games where you, you've walked through Tokyo. You know, you think of the Yakuza games or Persona and things like that. And they're always quite stylized. But, you know, here you recognize bits of that from those games because it's, you know, they're always taking from that. But it just looks so gorgeous and rain and fog and all the effects and stuff. Oh, yeah, it's just a great place to be in. And, you know, I don't think it's you know, the groundbreaking game, <laughs> or anything, it just has a real feel to it that just connects with me. I, I was so surprised at that. And I was really welcoming the fact that it was this much more chilled out game in so many ways, while still not failing to be a bit silly when it wants to. And, you know, it is the most you can pet the dog game going. You, know, like <laughs> you, should, like, you can pet the dog, feed the dogs and they'll lead you to treats. I mean, like that. The whole idea of the game is like a rapture of sorts has taken place by, you know, but not a nice one in any way, shape or form. And the only reason your character has survived is because they're already dead and have been possessed by the spirit of a detective who was after this like nutter who caused all this. And so you have this whole dynamic going on. Yeah. And it does some really trippy stuff as well. It really does some sections uh, where you go into buildings and you have to like cleanse the building with like this spiritual presence and it does very layers of fears-esque or observer-esque you know, trippy stuff with the house and moving all different ways yeah i mean there's so much more to go into but you know save that for another year day whatever so at some point but yeah i really really did enjoy it it's probably my favorite game by tango game works well, easily at this point
0: I was going to say, you know, based on how you've talked about it now, obviously, and then in the past also, and a couple of other people that I've talked to about it, you know, I have like a mid-ranged PC, but I might suck it up and play the game on, you know, low or mid uh, specs just so that way I can experience it because, you know, it sounds like such a departure from what I'm used to playing or at least from that Mm -hmm. studio, right? And, you know, I think also bringing up a game like this is what I really like about you know, this midpoint game of the year stuff and just game of the year lists in general, right? I think that the way in which we consume game of the year lists for the masses at least seem to be like, well, every game on this list has to be great. And I was actually talking about this with somebody the other day. And personally, and I'm curious to know how you feel about this. Like, I don't personally think that every game on a game of the year list needs to be the best thing that... Oh no. Has been released. I don't even think they need to be great games. I think that it's perfectly acceptable to have good games on a game of the year list, right? Things that maybe don't redefine a genre, they don't redefine your expectations for subgenres and these things. But I find that you know games like this that are able to deliver something that's unique enough, and it might again might not be a top three game, but it's perfectly acceptable to have a, just a perfectly fine game like this on a list like that. Um, and I think that, you know, hopefully I think my list is representative of that things that, you know, have not made me look at the genre differently, or they haven't introduced mechanics that like redefine the expectations of what horror games can be, but they are games that are really leaning into the genre in a way that is their own. And they might have their flaws as most things do, but they are <laughs> quality and well worth the time uh, spent playing them. and the I mean, Ghostwire is definitely a game that I'm looking to dive into before the end of the year.
1: Excellent. So, um, your number four.
0: Yeah, so my number four is Drive Time Radio from Birthday Boy. This is one of the games that uh, we covered in Horror Bites, our segment, monthly segment, in which we scour, you know, Itch.io, Steam, and all the in-between for bite-sized horror experiences that can be completed in one sitting, Um, and Drive Time Radio has stuck with me and I've since gone back and played it. Uh, you know, it's only about a 20 to 30 minute experience at most, but I think that this game is a perfect representation of utilizing humor in games and, you know, it is a horror game still, of course, you end up in this twilight zone-esque realm where you're participating in this radio quiz show while you're driving late at night and You know, I won't spoil anything, but there is a very supernatural uh, series of predicaments (laughs) that are thrown the player's way and they must navigate not only driving, but also answering a litany of uh, ever increasingly bizarre questions from the radio hosts that seem to know a bit more about you than they should. And just, you know, the uh, incorporation of humor and horror I found to be really remarkable in a way that these types of experiences seldomly do for me. One of my Mm. things, you know, it's generally more so in terms of uh, horror movies, but the balance of horror and comedy are generally pretty missed for me. Uh, I just find that that balance is so precarious, you know, that tightrope walk of dabbling in both genres, but not leaning in one too much. And I found that Drive Time Radio was a, Perfect balancing act between the two. Um, It just as soon as you know things become to get a little too ridiculous, you're throwing a curveball in terms of like the interactivity portion of the game that maybe is dabbling more in the horror side of things, or it switches things up just enough that the player is not just you know answering questions the entire time. There's more of an interactivity than uh, selecting an answer to the quiz show, but a really fantastic bite-sized experience that, you know, had me belly laughing more than once during it. And uh, I think it's highly worth everybody's time to check that out.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is part of the problem you have with just picking five games is that you look at all the list of things and go, oh, I could put that in there, but then I can't put that in there. And it just, <laughs> it gets like that. And there are so many from Horror Bites alone like that. You know, where you're like, oh, that's, you know, I, I tried to keep like a select few or like to consider for this. And so didn't quite make the cut, but yeah, it is a very good example of what these short experiences do so well, you know, why they've been such a massive part of this year for us personally.
0: And I you know, I assumed that you would have a horror bite pick or two, so I thought I would pick one that, you know, I had picked just because we both enjoyed it, obviously, but it was more likely I think that we would pick Granted, I think there's one that I can guess from Horrorbytes that's on your list, but we'll wait and see. Um, but I figured I would, I would try to pick one that we had not uh, talked about outside of the episode in much depth together. So yeah. I was hopeful that it wouldn't be on your list, and it wasn't. So <laughs> there, you go. there you go.
1: Okay, so yeah, my number three is Go Fly a Kite, enough. <laughs> So um So yeah, there you go. That is my Horrorbyte pick, I'm afraid. Um, as I said, I really wrestled with trying to, pick one um because i said it was very difficult and this is why i said to you before recording it's like the 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 list at the end of the year will probably be very different in some ways because i mean even in the space of talking about this i think i've shifted the top two um because (laughs) i'm just thinking about certain things but yes go fly a kite stands out to me in so many ways because yeah in terms of what horror bites does because it packs so much into just 15 minutes It's smart, it's funny, it's absurd and surreal. You know, the things I love the most about games that's um, certified could be on TV on an obscure channel at 2am, this experimental sort of thing. And, yeah, it it works on all those levels. And I I just loved every moment of it. You know, it just, you know, to the point where I had to write about it again, you know, for XP as well. Because it was just... I had to get out of my head to a bit more of what I was thinking. And it's just this great piece of satire, you know, that, you know, to discover it in a 15-minute short game like that just really solidified what makes the Horrorbytes episode so special in that you can just find things that you weren't getting from games elsewhere. You know, as good as games are and on my list none of them do what go flight kite does yeah, as well and to do it all in such a, a well-paced fashion that leaves you wanting more but also very satisfied with how it concludes you know it's a very unsatisfying conclusion yeah I, I'm blown away by it you know I just look at this and the next game on my list and think The the time spent on each is so disparate, but to be that close, you know, in terms of, despite so many parallels in terms of what they are. I Yeah. It's this sort of game that reinvigorates your love for the genre, you know, and it's probably the least horror of the lot in, in terms of my list, because it's very just, it's that sort of unnerving, disturbing, dystopian, surreal kind of horror which i like a lot so it's understandable it's here um yeah it's got everything i want in a horror and what you were just saying about you know balancing humor and you know horror is difficult and this again is one of those examples where you it goes for a very particular type of horror that isn't your standard sort and I think that's why it's able to balance it so well.
0: Well put, and you know, people should definitely check out your Dread XP article covering that game and whatnot. But um, I think that that game again is like such a master. And I might be mistaken. I'm pretty sure that was that first, the dev's first, um, you know, little bite sized game that was on Itch.io. or at least it couldn't have been more than their second endeavor. But like such a masterful understanding. Of not only the length of time that could be spent in that experience, but it is one of the few that feels like it utilizes every single minute of gameplay for something that is you know worthwhile more than just kind of you know wandering around and looking at environments and these things, right? I think that every single interaction, as few as there are, it not only you know progresses beat by beat in terms of you know the litany of dialogue options that you can have and the kind of weird and wacky conversations you'll have. But overall, each of those few interactions further fuels the overall, you know, theme of the game, right? And the overall thematics of it and what it's trying to say that's deeper than, you know, just being something weird, which is something that we keep coming back to, right? The idea that it's not really enough to just be weird to be a standout, right? There needs to be something backing that up, whether it is a real world theme or thematic that can actually, you know, Carry its own weight, so to speak, in terms of like having something to say greater than just like being weird. But at the same time, like that could be backed up by gameplay or something of that nature as well. Um, and yeah, that is one of those experiences that, uh, forever will take up real estate in my brain. Uh, and has (laughs) definitely been a highlight amongst the year of, uh, many memorable bite-sized experiences. But yeah, that one is definitely something that, um, I definitely want to return to, I think I've played it now twice. Uh, And the second time I showed one of my roommates who's into kind of the adult swim style uh, humor and shorts and things of that nature. Um, But I believe also the dev is making something new at the moment. And I keep seeing little tidbits on their Twitter of um, claymation animations and things of the like. But yeah, definitely something that everybody should check out if they're into uh, the weirder side of the horror adjacent experiences. And uh, it actually has something to say that's relevant to the real world and our current time and whatnot so definitely worthwhile
1: absolutely is so your number three
0: so my number three is nightmare of decay from checkmate and this is a first person survival horror game that sees our protagonist awakening to a literal nightmare finding themselves in a uh, a very spencer-esque mansion filled with the undead otherworldly monsters and cultists uh had you heard of nightmare of decay
1: yeah it was actually one of the things i've still got to play so I hadn't got around to it yet.
0: Well, hopefully this will be the sales pitch and we'll be able to do a chat about it a bit more at the end of the year for our Game of the Year episode. But this game, I would say, when you're talking about homages to classic horror, right? And that's something that we've done previously. Like we had an episode on Tormented Souls, right? And we talked about how that was a more or less successful, you know, homage to classic Resident Evil, right? And yes. it took that core framework It added its own sort of flair or horror, you know, inklings to it in a way that made it a standout while, you know, building off of that very successful foundation. Um, And I would say that Nightmare Decay does that similarly. And maybe it is a little more indicative of Resident Evil, right? It doesn't necessarily have as unique of a flair or, you know, horror flavor to impart because it is drawing a little more directly from Resident Evil, right? You have zombies, there's even like a regenerator in there at one point, you're fighting giant spiders. The cultists (laughs) from Resident Evil 4, where the dialogue sounds incredibly similar. But I will say, they nail the Resident Evil framework better than I have ever experienced, even better than something like Tormented Souls. And the fact that they're able to capture that classic Resident Evil feel, whether it be combat... Whether it be scarcity of resources, puzzles, you know, the way in which the Spencer esque mansion unfolds, you need to find this item, which unlocks this wing and so (laughs) forth, that kind of like domino effect. To be able to capture that from the classic Resident Evil in a first person perspective, and it doesn't feel like a beat has been missed, I found to be incredibly impressive. And the way that the game begins. Because you begin by, you're in your apartment, you're watching the news, there have been these very strange um, disappearances and whatnot, and you go to bed and you literally wake up in a coffin. In the coffin, you break (laughs) out of it, and then you end up at the Spencer Mansion, essentially. You know, it begins very familiar to a lot of those sort of PSX-style games that we've talked about, specifically in Horror Bites, right? Where it's these familiar, kind of mundane environments, but this game is essentially the most refined version of a classical survival horror homage that I've played. Um, and it's it takes you less than two hours to complete it, but it does feel like a full-fledged experience in that, again, talking about the number of puzzles, the pace and flow of unraveling the different environmental traversal type things that I mentioned. There's a couple of boss fights in there, and it's all constructed with a layer of polish that I think people will be surprised by overall, because it is the type of thing that typically when you see these types of games, they nail one or two elements, but typically you're able to see some of the shortcomings or whether that be, you know, lack of resources or it just be, you know, a developer that's fairly new, hasn't been able to master a specific skill set to bring that to life. Right. I mean, any size game is going to require an incredible amount of, talent man hours and resources and for something like this to you know really check every box that I could want I was kind of blown away by it. and I spent most of uh, a Saturday playing it in one one sitting and I mean I I'm definitely want to go back and replay it on a harder difficulty even because it was difficult on normal um, but it captures that survival horror feel it's channeling Resident Evil in the best ways possible even if some things are familiar sometimes overly familiar there's around the corner. There is a, some type of surprise that you're not expecting, which shows that originality um, that I think the developer has a good wherewithal in terms of like, you can be a homage a majority of the time, but you still have to impart something that the player is not going to be expecting. Um, And there is some other worldly cosmic elements to this game that I won't spoil Um, because they are wonderful surprises and there's a layer of depth to this that uh, caught me by surprise and i think it definitely furthermore makes this well worth checking out
1: fantastic yeah i'm always in the market for more resi types so yeah that's definitely one to make sure i get in on before the year's end
0: absolutely and it retails for less than five bucks i believe ah, so So, definitely worth checking out definitely yes but how about okay. you what was your uh next pick?
1: my number two um elden ring is this on your list
0: it is not shamefully i have yet to play elden ring <laughs> oh that's right that's fine. <laughs> i'm sure i'll be stoned for that but it's definitely uh <laughs> something that i'm gonna dive into before the years end
1: yeah so this is the sort of thing where i'm thinking oh do you really count it but it's like then you, you remember everything you play about it and go come on you know, there's there's Go on.
0: I'll say yeah. that, you know, from what little experience I have with Souls games, that in itself is a horrifying experience, and yeah. based on the, <laughs> the monster and creature design that I've seen, and you know, I've I played maybe the first hour at a buddy's house that had it, um, but I mean this is the definition of you know, horror adjacent, or you could probably even make the argument for it being a horror game well, yeah, based I mean, on that.
1: Well yeah, I mean, given how much of it is inspired by Berserk, you know, and which itself is, is a very grim, dark bloody gory thing it's unsurprising in that sense and there's a lot of body horror stuff and weird fucked up stuff as usual um so my relationship with front software games is hit and miss you know I loved the original demon souls back in the day and didn't care for dark souls very much then quite like dark souls 2 the one that was very much maligned by many people who like dark souls um Appreciate Dark Souls Free, but uh, I reviewed that before it came out. So you know, doing a Souls game before you have the uh, internet connection stuff is brutal, I say, because <laughs> you have no idea of what's coming. But also, a really exciting, joyous thing because you discover so much on your own in a way that you don't get to afterwards. Um, but yeah, it. it was one that sort of put me off Souls games for a while because I was just very really burnt out on it and I hadn't played Bloodborne at that point so when I tried to play Bloodborne after it I just bounced off it and I think we discussed this time and again you know it was hard to get into that game Um, and then Sekiro came along and completely just blew me away how you know it was more punishing than any of them and that was the thing I didn't really want and yet it blew me away. I, I, I was so into what it was doing. And I think it was just the idea that it was such intricate fighting mechanics in it that you don't really have in other Souls games. And so pff, I came into Elden Ring thinking, oh, well, if it's just going to be more Souls-like, yeah, I'm probably not going to like it as much as Sekiro. Turns out I like it probably as much, I think, really. It's it just an open world for this formula Really does work. I mean, it just—you don't have that punishing corridor of like, well, if you don't do all this, you can't go any further than that. There's multiple avenues to go, and you can go for hours and hours and hours in a direction, and then you know come back to something you you struggled with at the beginning and really get at it. it. It's very much closer to Breath of the Wild than it is, say. A Ubisoft sort of open world, you know, in terms of it, it's using the open world in a very rewarding way that you don't really expect, and it just constantly offers up surprises and so many bosses and weird things. And that more than ever, I think the co-op system in it is, you know, as frustratingly bastardized as it is to get get going. You know, and sometimes you wait around on certain fights that you want to get done, waiting for someone to join your game. And hoping that you'll get the full, you know, you get two teammates rather than one. And, (laughs) because there's all these weird rules about, you know, if you have someone join you online for a game, you can't bring summons in to help you, so you have to basically pick. It's like, do you want to use one of your summons and try the boss yourself, or do you want to wait and see if you can get two people to maybe join your fight and hope that they're good enough to help you? (laughs) But it really does help to have other people with you. There are times where if it was just like any other Souls game, I would have given up uh, or just been very frustrated with it and would probably not have even featured the game here. But it just pushed me through at points where I was sure I was not going to make any progress for ages. And because you do eventually hit those brick walls. And yeah, it just went just constantly rewarded me in a way that i never thought you could get with these games does that make it less than the other games because it's not as challenging in that regard no because you are still constantly being challenged there's just a lot of downtime in between where you can do whatever you want and you get into a flow of things and you still get bits that hand your ass to you when you think (laughs) you know everything and i like that But there is a very natural flow of things despite the uh, openness of it. Um, yeah, and it just still throws up such number of like imaginative monsters and horrible things at you and horrible locations. And, you know, there's the whole region of Caled is a nightmare. You know, it, it looks like a nightmare. Everything is distorted versions of what you find in the rest of the game. You know, like dogs that you are batting down by that point, you know, a casual glee are now giant, big-headed, mutant Scrappy-Doo fuckers that, you know... I I, I reference Scrappy-Doo in the James Gunn-written Scooby-Doo movie in that regard, where he goes all full monster mode. And it's... Just like demented, how that place is! It is just like the most Dark Souls of areas in the entire game. Which is like, oh, you know, everything else might as well be in fucking Rayman for all the the, the uh, tweeness is compared to that place. It is a hellscape, and it, it's the first time you read really to look at the game and thinking, yeah, this is where the world is the most fucked up. But it just constantly offers little moments like that. Beyond that. But yeah, that place, yeah, that that in itself, if that had been the whole game in itself, that would have been a masterclass in just like nightmare-inducing despair. But it is, <laughs> yeah, as a game and all, it is a, a phenomenal game. It gets a bit of a bastard at the end in that last run. And that's probably why it knocked it down a bit from what I initially thought. But yeah, I, I've not had that much fun with a from software game, you know, and that, you know, in terms of like exploring as I have with this, you know, Sekiro was never about the exploration. It was about the combat and mastering that combat. Um, and earlier Souls games were very much about enduring. Um, this really did feel like I could discover something. And occasionally, if I wanted to get further and discover more of this exciting stuff, I'd have to beat certain things it gave me more motivation to do so than it had ever done in previous games. So yeah, it's just grand. You know? I'm Easily up there with, you know, with Sekiro as my favorite from front for software at this point. So yeah, I liked it.
0: Sounds like you liked it quite a bit. Right? It's, the, <laughs> uh, it's the type of thing that, you know, as we chatted about with uh, Aaron when we had our Bloodborne episode, right? It was... The type of thing that Bloodborne was the one from Souls game that I was most familiar with, because personally, I'm not somebody that necessarily likes to play games that are like known for being super challenging. Right. I just it's just not to my tastes for when I'm playing games, you know. But not that there's anything wrong with that for people to do. But, you know, why I latched onto Bloodborne more than any of the other Souls game I tried was that it was that world, right? And it yeah. was the fact that that world was a lot more restrictive. It was a lot more claustrophobic. But in that claustrophobia in large portions of it, there was that highly detailed Victorian Gothic aesthetic that I loved. And, you know, yes. the fact that the world is not as open as it sounds like Elden Ring is you could really appreciate just how detailed and how monstrous each foe that you faced was but you know when i'm thinking about if i was to play another souls game i would want to play elden ring for the men- for the very reason that you mentioned in terms of it being open world it giving the player a bit more breathing room if you will you know the idea that in between these really bastard hard moments you can have these kind of like lengthy traveling or exploration segments, which really do let you catch your breath, which for somebody like me that, again, doesn't revel in that, you know, hardcore gameplay where you have to master every swing, every block, every parry and whatnot. Like those are the moments that would keep me coming back to the game. And, you know, I would imagine stop me from bouncing off of it earlier than was intended. So that I think, and, you know, comparing it to something like Breath of the Wild, which I love is one of those comparisons that really sells me on this in a way that I hadn't been sold on something like a Dark Souls 3 or even a Sekiro for that matter so that's very reassuring to hear and definitely makes me uh, need to reprioritize Elden Ring before the end of the year
1: yeah and there's another game that just has that Shadow of the Colossus vibe which again is always a big win for me you know anything that shows a decaying world that's not quite what it was like that you know and puts you in the middle of it is a winner with me and this really did that
0: before we move on to uh my number two we're going to take a quick break and when we come back i'll get to uh dive into something that i think neil had suspected was coming but we'll see and we're back from our break and my number two pick was the shopping list from jordy boy was this on your list it
1: was not Okay. But yeah, so, yeah, it's one of those <laughs> that very much was in the running.
0: So, my idea for my list for this, you know, five games was I wanted to be representative of the kind of full spectrum of horror games that we played. Mm. Right. So we both had had something that was in Horror Bites, and I'm picking a second game from Horror Bites that has stuck with me in a way that you know we've done considerable amount of those episodes now and there are always going to be, you know, certain subgenres that pop up in that realm of, you know, itch.io type experiences, you know, the lo-fi PSX style games that we've become very very familiar with. And The Shopping List, I think exemplifies what I love most about those lo-fi PSX style games in that it takes an experience that is kind of capturing the mundane normalities of life But it capitalizes on it in not only, you know, an atmospheric and frightening way, but again, speaking to a larger meaning behind the experience. And it's not to say that I can't enjoy, you know, plenty of other experiences that have a similar aesthetic or a similar approach. But the shopping list, I think, does the best job of taking all of these things and, you know, having something more behind it. And again, I can appreciate games that just want to be scary. I can enjoy games that just want to tell a story, but the shopping list seems to be for me so far this year to be the best example of all of those qualities. Um, And for the shopping list, you know, it's about a character that is starting a new life in a new town. And what's the first thing that they have to do that is, you know, everybody's favorite thing, which is you need to restock your house or your apartment when you move there. And You kind of just have this very mundane shopping list. I have to go to the grocery. I have to go to, you know, the toiletry store and all these things. But, of course, there have been some oddities happening around town. People have been going missing. People start speaking to you very cryptically. Um, And then, of course, things become uh, more overtly terrifying the longer that you are in this town. And, again, what I think is the most remarkable about this game is the fact that The protagonist, the longer that you play, begins to feel like a real person. And, you know, granted, we've played a number of these types of experiences where the protagonist's personality comes through in little comments. Typically, it's along the lines of like something humorous. And, you know, the shopping list is no exception, right? There's a good amount of humor early on to get you into the world. Right, I think at one point, you want to buy milk, and there's no milk in the store, so the milk you buy is one that a guy that's sitting at the counter is drinking, <laughs> and then, of course, it's like $8 for the milk yeah. or something of that nature. So, there's some absurdist humor in there right out the gate just to get you invested in the character. In the world, it's a little more approachable, but then the game, and you know I don't want to spoil it here because uh, you know, we did talk about it in some depth in uh, our Horror Bites episode a number of months ago, but overall, like, the fact that this very brief experience, which lasts about 40 minutes, I believe, is able to express to the player, you know, a walk of life that somebody like myself or an experience in life rather that my, me, myself have not had before or wouldn't have insight into. Yeah. And the fact that you're able to have very real and very mature character development and life experiences in an experience like this, that's only 40 minutes long that, you know, from a surface level examination, this is a horror game. That's going to scare you, but the more time you spend with it, it just becomes a much more meaningful experience Mm. that again, never really loses sight of trying to scare the player or entertain the player. It just, it ends up being this very beautiful amalgamation of all of these things that, I haven't been able to stop thinking about in terms of the potential of horror bite style experiences and, yeah. you know, really remains one of the highlights of my year so far. And, you know, when we inevitably will expand our list or double our list by 10 for the overall year, this, there's no way that this won't be on that list in some capacity.
1: Yeah. I think what always struck me with this one was that it had this idea of like the, bewilderment of moving to a new place and wanting to fit in with it whilst also having this thing about escaping something that makes any weirdness you encounter in the new place feel relatively nothing you you will deal with it because you want anything is better than what you were experiencing and I like that sort of thing that you get in that, and especially in the early moments of it, where, as you said, the uh, supermarket encounter, where no real fuss is made about paying extra <laughs> for some milk, because it's like, well, in the grand scheme of things, it ain't where I was, you know. And I, I really do, you know, that that didn't really come through until playing it like a second time, like you said, the way you, you just pick up extra little bits about it. But yeah, when well, it does have little moments of like unease and horror, it really does it well. And the atmosphere of it is just, you know, these low res, low poly sort of style games really utilize, you know, that perfectly by using the, you know, lack of, like, foreground, if you will, to um, create that unease. You know, in a dark environment, you can't see very far ahead. There's a gloom. And you can recreate that in, in a very polished modern game, but oftentimes it just uh, there's a sacrifice made to make it look not too dark, or it's too dark. Here, it just like no, you can't see shit <laughs> beyond you, and you can, see, but you can see in your general area because of this, isn't this, and this. it? And it does it gives that wonderful dread sense of what is lurking in the dark that I can't see. You know, the same reason you would fear the ocean or space. You know. There is so much you can't see or know beyond what's in front of you, and that's the scary part. You know, and that the fact that, that can exist in a place that you live is frightening in itself. So when a game gets that right, beautiful. Uh, you know, this is a game that very much gets that right.
0: And the last thing I'll say on it is that you know, across the experience, there are a number of gameplay elements and you know, just general like technical standouts that I found to be representative of a developer that's far older and more experienced than I believe the person that made this was. They were either a high school student or perhaps younger than that, I think. But, you know, there's a lot of variety in terms of the interactivity in this game throughout it. And, you know, a lot of it are going to be things that you've seen. But when you play enough of these and they typically show you everything that the player can do in the first five minutes to stumble upon something like the shopping list and to have each section introduce a new mechanic that is done so in a way that I found to be proficient for the limited amount of time it's featured. Again, it makes for an overall experience that delivers in so many different ways that it is remarkable, I find. And I think that it's definitely worth everybody checking out. And I believe this is one horror bite that's only available on Itch.io, but the shopping list is uh, well worth checking out how about you what is your next pick my number one pick
1: is wolf Studios' weird west which we Fantastic. have covered in depth in an episode and again it has only grown in stature as the months have gone on especially because a lot of the technical issues have been fixed and tweaked and the extra stuff has been added um there's just so much about it to love you know it, beyond the Connections to Arcane that it has in terms of the people making it, uh, including, you know, the director Rafael Colantino, who obviously directed Prey, which is another game I love. It's this, you know, isometric style Western RPG. You know, when I say Western, that means like a yeehaw, not like made in the West sort of thing. (laughs) And. But it has a really high supernatural edge. You know there are you know there are witches and zombies and monsters and occult things going on in this world, and they are married to this Western aesthetic in such a natural way. In the same way that when you think about it, the Dishonored series did really well, where it was you know always very much inspired by a certain period of history, but also. It's got supernatural shit in it, and that's really cool too. And it never felt like the two were separate things being mushed together. They all felt like a, a living, breathing world. And, you know, I think when we discussed this in the episode we did on it, you know, I said how the fact that it taps into a lot of what the Stephen King's The Dark Tower does, you know, especially in those early hours, in terms of having this, like, it's a world very much like ours, but it has this weird shit going on in it. That separates it, and it gradually opens up as you go through the the game, showing you more and more of the weird in the weird West. Uh, You know, to the point where you finish the game in a place where you understand just how crazy this place is, and all this nonsense gets to be. The fun thing I find about it is that you aren't one person. You are well, you are one person. You are one person traveling through different vessels per chapter. So you start as a retired bounty hunter brought back into action to rescue her kidnapped husband and you know, avenge her murdered child. And you know that sets the tone straight away that, oh, okay, this is going for the darker side of things. And that is very straightforward as an inter- introduction to the game because it doesn't really put that supernatural stuff at the forefront. But it really does kind of give you a vibe of what's going on. And this is where the Dark Tower vibe really comes into it, is that that starts very much the same way, where everything is familiar, but there's something off and you can feel it. And it gradually grows and grows as you progress through that story. And so the story then goes on to very different lifestyles and, and characters. You know, from that you get to be Someone cursed to be a pig man, someone who is you know, a werewolf, eventually, and you know, and beyond. And you also get to be a cultist, and you know, a, a native, basically, who has to battle a wendigo thing going on, and the temptation of potentially becoming a wendigo. And the beauty of all this is that all these stories a continuous you know, the, the world keeps moving on from first story to last and every character is existing in that that you've been before so you can go back and meet the person you were inhabiting last and team up with them and they can and you know they will have hazy memories of the, of that situation but they they are now in control of themselves and want to know more so they they will come along and find, and they can die and they can be gone and It has all those little immersive sim style details of like, you know, what if I do this thing here and knock this thing over? What will happen there? The experimentation phase of it is just not readily apparent at first, but you really start getting into it the further you get in. As a story, my God, it just has so many little working parts that blow my mind. You know, I know we're used to this, with, with like arcane stuff, Where you're like, oh wow, it's amazing how they tie all this together. But here, it yeah, you know, I think we said at the time, it's like they have gone for the simpler style here at Wolfeye because it means they can be more ambitious, yeah, you know, and they can try different things. Like honestly, yeah, the world, while you are just like traveling from point to point on a map to get to each area and each section you go visit is like. A literal map piece that that come to life and you, you can once you leave that piece you have to go traveling on the map to the next bit but stuff pops up all the time just like an open world would um things happen to places you've been you know they can get looted and people the whole townsfolk can get murdered because of your actions or even if you don't do anything but they can also come back again and be rebuilt and that to me is fascinating because you know, time just as I said, time keeps moving on through the story. So if you wanna wait a while and do something else, time's still going on, you know. It all all the actions in the world are still going on while you're doing stuff. And it's not again, not readily apparent when you start. But the more you play it, the more you realise that the game is basically just existing beyond you. And that feels like magic, you know, to me. It's like games have been there are games that have done Versions of this over the years. And you kind of see the joins of it all now because, yeah, you know, in retrospect, we get to know how games are made. But here is just, it's so complex. I'm thinking, it's, you can see how it could be underappreciated or not recognized because I could see how you could miss it because. If you take it on a surface level, you'd be like, oh yeah, just like a, one of those games, you go, this is a bit of the story, that's a bit of the story. But it, it is like the best arcane games. The more you delve into it, the more you discover it's a far, far deeper experience than you, you imagined. And yeah, it just blows me away, you know, from writing to music to aesthetic Fantastic. And it has only gotten better with with time and patches as well. So, yeah, absolutely top tier, splendid game.
0: Yeah, I went back and played the first hour again after some patches and whatnot, just because I wanted to see, you know, if I could mess around and influence the world in different ways. And, you know, it really did just send it all fleeting back to me, the idea of just how everything is so seamlessly integrated into one another in a mm. way that, On the surface might seem simplistic, but when you realize that that permeates throughout the entire experience and every facet continues and carries that. And, you know, something we talked about when we did our episode on the game earlier this year was that you almost feel like it's a disservice initially because you play the first few hours and you're like, well, I'm not really seeing why this is any different than some of the other things that I've played. And then, like, just the longer you invest into it and, of course... Once you get to the point where you start opening up other characters and you see the influence that your actions had, like it's mind blowing in a certain extent. Yeah. Right? And I don't think that that's an over exaggeration just because you realize the significance of your actions and that they have that real world impact. But it's not like just the town is destroyed because, like you said, time continues to move in multiple ways. It's not just in relation to characters and relationships, but the world itself. And so to revisit a town. And to see it fully populated again, it just carries a mystique to the rest of the world that you really are unsure of what's coming next because you don't know the impact that your actions will have or how, you know, how final they can be. And that's something that, you know, immersive sims in varying degrees have done, but to see it in a game that, you know, is this top-down third-person perspective that you have multiple characters and whatnot, you're not really expecting just because... I mean, in short-term memory, I can't think of games that have done what Weird West does that looked like it does in recent memory, like in the last few years. And, you know, I think that it looking so familiar to so many other third-person games in that nature, or rather, I keep saying third-person, top-down experiences, um, it's something that I think you could easily conflate with other games that look like that that you've played. But the more time you spend with it, the more you realize just how drastically different it is from really the ground up. And it kind of just further serves to show like you can't just judge a game based on how it looks because the longer you play it, the more you experiment, it opens up in some really remarkable ways for the entirety of that. I mean, what is it, a 15-hour game or something like that? So basically, just knowing yeah. the amount of depth in that was really like a delight to experience this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely was, and wow, yeah, just generally wow that it managed to be what it is. And as much as you know, they were very keen to sort of stress that it isn't really a horror game because even though it has a supernatural element, the world is just such that I'm thinking, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it 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 very much qualifies on so many grounds, um, on various levels of horror as well.
0: I mean, cann- cannibal pigmen sell me on it being horror game essentially. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, among other things, you know, <laughs> necromancers and werewolves and whatever else, and, you know, cosmic beings. It is very much inspired. But like I said, its inspirations are exactly the kind of I like. And, you know, even the soundtracks in the house, like, um, <laughs> which is nuts because it's a really good soundtrack, and you think, I, I looked to, uh, straight after playing it and thinking, Who's fucking done this stuff? It's music, <laughs> and it's Colantinio is part of the Weird Wolves musical band that is doing Ooh. the soundtrack. It's like that, thats just commitment to the bit, yeah. You know, having this small team doing everything, and I like oh, ah, yeah. just it feels so much like an old school PC game, which is you know the vibe they were going for. As I said, they wanted you know it to be like an old school Ultima or Fallout or something like that, and it's very much got that to it, Yeah, you know. And so yeah. I really look forward to what that studio gets to do next. I hope that they continue to get the freedom to do what they want to do.
0: Absolutely, and see if they, you know, add any more content to the game as it is now. Um, yeah, it makes for a very exciting uh, entry in this year's kind of game of the year chats, but also just in general, like showing that um, there's an audience for immersive sims, and that the fact that hopefully it inspires developers to, you know, continue making those and maybe having them be in genres and perspectives that people are not expecting, you know?
1: Yeah. So your number one.
0: So my number one so far for game of the year in 2022 is going to be Golden Light from Mr. Pink, which, you know, we've uh, certainly talked about our fair share of bizarre games in safe rooms history, but this is the most bizarre game I've ever played. But, the quality that makes it more remarkable than just being weird is that that weirdness is backed up by strong gameplay. And this is something you and I have talked about countless times, right? It's not enough just to be weird because that essentially would make your game or product a one trick pony, essentially. Mm -hmm. And how long can that last for an experience? You either need to have writing that backs that weirdness up in a way that continually strings it along and makes that an experience more than just a series of, you know, one-off gags or you need to have the gameplay that backs it up and golden light has the gameplay to back up it's very singular unique brand of weirdness but it is done so in a way that you know it's an experience that i could see spending another 15 hours playing and so golden light uh is you know whatever i say is not going to do it justice because it really does (laughs) need to be seen to be believed but i'll do my best so In Golden Light, the player one day is on an idyllic picnic with his girlfriend uh, who is then sucked into a meat vortex and it's up to the player to follow her into the world of the gut. Uh, The gut is best described as a smorgasbord of meat, metal, and unfiltered lunacy. Um, (laughs) So from what does that mean in terms of gameplay? Well, Golden Light is a procedural dark comedy horror game with roguelike elements in which the player must find keys to proceed to, to the next level Um, so essentially you're dropped into an environment you have to hunt down those keys while dealing with a variety of traps enemies and environmental puzzles when you find the keys you can go down another level uh, and you know keep going until you find your girlfriend Um, but the ways in which it takes that weirdness past the world itself is that it is very much learning by experimenting and that's something that you know Past roguelikes have done, past, you know, just horror games in general have done, but really you are going to die a considerable amount of times. But the key difference and something that um, another roguelike game this year has done, I love for this one mechanic, that being Hades, right? Every time you die, you don't feel like you're starting from square one. You're either Mm -hmm. progressing the narrative in a way or you're progressing your character's overall abilities in another way. And that's something that Golden Light does in the best means possible. Every single time you die, you essentially come to a hub world. And in that hub world, it's further evolving and pushing your understanding of either mechanics. It's giving you a brief moment to explore the hub world and come across different weapons and items or mementos, which are what serve essentially as perks um, that further hone your abilities in that current run. And that is one of the key elements, I think, that never allows me to bounce off of this game for as difficult as it is. And it is a very difficult game. Uh, and that is mostly because your field of view is very obscured because of darkness, which is something yeah. we've talked about, you know, previously in terms of games and how they obscure your view. And it's done so in a way that it makes this game more intense, almost akin to like a dungeon crawler kind of yeah. for it being a roguelike. Um But I think also what is important is that it doesn't punish the player for experimenting. And that's the only way that you can get any sort of foothold in this game because you essentially can dual wield. So you're going to have weapons in one hand and then you're going to have random items you pick up in the other. And both of these hands, the items that can go in them, can either be used defensively, offensively, or they can be thrown to varying effects or they can be eaten which means that you can eat these, you know, it's as simple as something as an apple, or it could be something as bizarre as a golden tooth. Or in terms of the weapons, it could be a fire axe or it could be a handgun. And every item I just mentioned can be consumed or thrown. So each of them is going to have varying effects on the player or varying effects on their equipment and items. And it's really not known until they actually experiment and try that. Um, And so that's something that, you know, yields a lot of hilarious results. And at the same time, you know, it provides me with a lot of these learning experiences that can be brutal. But in that, you know, very finite uh, result of experimenting, I learn very quickly, oh, I'm not going to try that again. Or I'm going to make a note to not eat the fire axe or this or that, because sometimes it will have a positive result like I one time picked up a golden tooth and when I ate the golden tooth um, it repaired all my items uh, durability essentially and then one time I ate a fish head that I found and it poisoned me or I ate a gun and it gave me bleed damage or something like that Um, and so it's a game that is very unknowing and it utilizes that weirdness in the best way possible because furthermore it makes each floor feel like it's own new experience. But in that being an experience, something is taught. A lesson is yeah. taught in gameplay or just the way in which you can traverse the world. Um, and it's something that is unlike anything I've played. You know, it might have roguelike qualities. It is very much this absurdist horror that we love. Um, all the enemies are mimics by the way. They just look like other enemies until they kind of, you know, grow to monumental fleshy masses and whatnot. And you know, I've played now for about six hours and it's not something that I feel like I can fully grasp spill, which I think is the best compliment I could give to a game like this because it's so unknowing. But again, the way that it's structured, I keep coming back and I'm not burnt out on it.
1: Yeah, I'm you know, just looking up the game more now. It's just like, yeah, this is like it be very much on my street. So that's... Yes. Uh, <laughs> it absolutely on? is. I should have <laughs> led with
0: that. It's definitely uh, in line with... What I think you would like about it?
1: Yeah, it just looks. I think the the top uh, comment on Steam is pretty much Benadryl Simulator. simulator. <laughs> so yeah, that that's that that fits quite well. <laughs> so.
0: I figured I would try to describe it before saying a fever dream or this or that, but it is yeah very much in line with you know it feeling like a a drug induced sort of state, which you know. You can say that about a number of games, but again, when I think about something like Cruelty Squad, right?
1: Yeah. These
0: are the games that have the gameplay that backs up that very singular brand of absurdist weirdness um, in a way that has legs for more than a single sitting. And for that, on top of the fact that you know I have a soft spot for roguelikes and the, and the like, um, it is something right up my alley. And I can't wait for you to check it out. Hopefully, before the end of the year, so we can talk about it in a little more depth.
1: Absolutely. So that that's our picks. Um, but we did put out the feelers for other people to sort of mention theirs. So you, you've got a few of them, obviously.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as always, we always appreciate people reaching out. Uh, and whenever we kind of do those little calls to action, to see what people are, uh, their opinion on, you know, a broad topic or a specific game that we're going to be covering. And, you know, if people listening are ever inclined to do so, they can reach out to us on Twitter, at Pod or email us at saferoompod at gmail.com um, if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game that we're going to cover so yeah first up is our buddy harrison abbott who leads with two games that you covered already today which would be silt and ghostwire tokyo uh, harrison says i really enjoyed silt and ghostwire tokyo despite the later outstaying its welcome a little towards the end i'm gonna hopefully have an insight into that when i get to check that game out uh, by the end of the year Uh, He also really enjoyed Shopping List, as I did. He said Shopping List was ace. Um, He is also enjoying The Quarry, which is the most fun he's had with the game all year. It feels like the perfect distillation of that genre. Uh, It's easy to get invested in the characters one way or the other. Uh, The branching paths feel a lot more significant than in other interactive movies, and the set pieces can be quite suspenseful with the ill-timed button press or misjudged shot undoing a lot of your hard work. Uh, The Quarry is a game that both Neil, you and I will have more to say about uh, later <laughs> later in the year, but it's definitely one that I think um, we have both been enjoying to varying degrees. Yeah, I,
1: I think I'm, I'm on the lower end of the list, it seems, but uh, <laughs> most compared to most people's opinions on it, while still really liking it. So, but uh, yeah, that, that will be a fun one to discuss.
0: Uh, another friend of the show, Aaron Bame, said that he has been enjoying Elden Ring, Warhammer 40k, Chaos Gate. Uh, demon hunter iron lung bloodborne psx which i actually just played this morning and was absolutely blown away by maybe that's yeah. something we'll chat about later this year um, also weird west was on his list and he has plans to check out the quarry quite soon uh, next up is a gaming who has enjoyed the quarry matt grisdell uh, has said damn this has made me realize that none of the horror games i've beaten so far this year have actually come out this year and i include that because that's incredibly relatable for me. Somebody okay. that just got a gaming PC uh you know a couple of months ago and has basically been playing catch up for seemingly the last 5 years of uh lots of little horror bits and bobs that I've missed. So I think that was uh very apparent for me and I'm sure for you as well having just gotten a uh, an upgrade.
1: Yep, that's it. And we were discussing just before the show about uh, you know I discovered like uh swearies, the missing you know and, mm. and like being blown away and that's games like four years old now and i can't imagine how i end up missing it and yeah so yeah, things like that would be like high up on my list in any other year but so it's great to always discover new games and, yeah they're, they're just as warranted i think you know when you talk about your games of the year because not everyone can play more than a handful of games in a year you know of generally let alone in one genre Mm -hmm. so to have something that's your favorite from any year if it's new discovery go for it i say i say that could be your game of the year as much as anything
0: absolutely next is peter burt who said the evil dead game was so fun and a great example of how licensed games can really work more of them please absolutely that's a sentiment that uh both neil and i champion i think
1: Yep. yeah definitely
0: And then last but not least is my pal, Jimmy Dinellon, who put me on to Golden Light. He's the reason why I know about that game. And that's why, you know, I have to give a special thanks to him for introducing me to so far my favorite game of the year. And uh, we'll see how that stacks up, you know, once we uh, get to experience and see what the next six months have in in store for us. And uh, I'm sure we've already been kind of looking ahead to the future and we're looking towards the fall and just how busy that month is going to be with releases and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what survives our game of the year list so far to, you know, our final game of the year list at the uh, end of the year and whatnot.
1: Yeah. Because like I said, even just general feeling towards game can change after a few months. Yeah. You could feel stronger or weaker on something. Um, as you know, the episode we're recording after this is a very much a game like that. Where playing it after a long time, coming back to it, I felt very differently, but in a good way. You know, it's it's great to have that where you can sort of revisit stuff. It's not quite as easy as like doing it with films or music and stuff where you can just sort of easily go back and go, did I like that as much as I thought? Eh, maybe not. Maybe so. Yeah. But with a game, you know, you've got to invest, <laughs> generally speaking, a lot of time to to mm-hmm. really. Get that. I have definitely found writing about certain games has helped in that regard, where you can just be like, you can articulate your feelings in a way, the way you, in a different way to speaking about them. But then also speaking about them has really been helpful too in sort of uh, expanding the range. You know, so it's I look at this year's uh, midway point top five compared to last year, and it's very different. It's um, already, which is fantastic. You know, so it's gonna be amazed to see what we get by the end of the year.
0: Yeah. I mean, couldn't agree more and, you know, very excited to kind of see where the horizon of horror takes us closer. We get to the end of the year, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for our uh, game of the year. So far picks for horror games of 2022. And yeah, as always, Neil, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for safe room.
1: Yeah. And, um, you can probably judge how long the, the full episode this will be at the end of the year now. <laughs> <are> we, <laughs> we,
0: we need to try, yeah, we're going to do our best to try to keep that uh, end of the year episode under three hours, but at this point, who knows?
1: <laughs> it depends on the games, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Until next time.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next Monday.